Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Come now, Spirit of God, and enliven the preaching of your word. Give us receptive ears and open hearts to take the seed of God's word deeply within us, and may it bear good fruit for your kingdom. Lord Jesus Christ, may you be glorified in this, and may you transform us into the body of Christ, the church that you desire us to be. We ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Friends, we do not have anything to talk about at Christ Church. We have no ministry to offer that is not centered in the cross of Christ. When those Greeks probably... Um, God-fearers, those who had not quite committed, uh, committed to making the full transition to Judaism, or perhaps Jewish uh, Greeks who had proselytized fully into Judaism, when they came to, and said to Philip, Sir, we would see Jesus, the first thing that Jesus says after that talks is, is he begins a discourse about the cross. We cannot talk about Jesus without talking about the cross. And therefore, we have nothing to say and no ministry to offer apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is so essential to our faith that we cannot know God apart from how he has revealed himself in the cross of Jesus. And this is why St. Paul declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything else must take second place to that truth. Richard B. Hayes has written, God has chosen to save the world through the cross, through the shameful and powerless death of a crucified Messiah. If that shocking event is the revelation of the deepest truth about the character of God, then our whole way of seeing the world is turned upside down. Everything has to be reevaluated in the light of the cross. Everyone, everything has to be reevaluated in the light of the cross. In the cross, God challenges the most profoundly cherished idols of humanity. Our grasping for privilege and prestige and power and position and possessions is utterly rejected and it is brought under judgment through the cross. It, the reality that God has revealed himself and has effected the redemption of the cosmos by coming to us in Christ and being stripped and beaten and nailed to a tree in shame is a tremendous scandal. It is a stumbling block. God's act upon the cross so defies the values of a godless secular society that as a symbol, it is intolerable. It is intolerable. Uh, just read recently where a church in Texas that has a large auditorium, it's a Baptist church, they don't have a nave or sanctuary, they've got an auditorium and that's awesome, but they have a giant meeting area. And so, uh, that's Texas. Um, it's, 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 it's in Plano. Probably, you know, in Texas, it's a medium-sized church. Uh, but uh, they have for years, uh, for over a decade now, been allowing the school district to use their facilities 
for graduation because the school system had no meeting place large enough to accommodate high school graduation. And so this church, in love and in charity and in care for their community, opened their doors wide. They were thrilled to serve their community this way. And then the complaint came this past year. Take down your cross. Take it down. We, we cannot bear the sight of that cross in your auditorium. You must take it down. And the church said, we will not take down the cross. It will not be removed. And so that school district is now looking for a different place to meet because the cross is intolerable. Earlier this year in Xinjiang province, local officials in China ordered the removal of a cross on the top of Xiaoji Church. When church members refused, the officials dispatched a team with a heavy-duty crane to forcibly demolish the cross on February 22nd. About 20 female church members, it's always the women around the cross. It's always the women that stay by the cross. Hmm. About 20 female church members tried to stop the demolition by linking arms and singing hymns to block the path of the machinery, but a 10-person team of officials pushed past them and tore down the cross. In Zhejiang province, around 2,000 crosses have been destroyed over a period of the last three years after the provincial government launched its beautification program in an effort to remove all crosses throughout the area. St. Paul writes in Philippians 3, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even through tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. And unfortunately, even us, in the evangelical wing of the church, are abandoning the cross. One blogger spoke of this when he mourned the lack of crosses in his own non-denominational church. He writes, the reason for this lack of crosses is a pragmatic one. We are a seeker-sensitive church. Is that even a thing anymore? We are a seeker-sensitive church, and it is believed that the unchurched find such symbols off-putting if not downright offensive. Yes, yes, we were already told that the cross is an offense. It's in the Bible, no joke. In order to be unoffensive, we have removed those things that would put up an unnecessary barrier to faith. The cross is a necessary barrier. If it is a barrier, it is a necessary barrier. The problem with this view is not just that it's wrong, it's, not, it's that it's not on a fundamental level. The problem is that it is not on a very fundamental level Christianity at all. If we are going to follow Jesus Christ, we cannot escape the cross. John, the gospel writer, uses this phrase that we hear from the lips of Jesus, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, that phrase, lifted up, refers to the fullness of God's saving act in Christ's crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. But in this passage, in John chapter 12, Jesus uses the phrase to focus on the centrality of the cross. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. And in this passage, Jesus reveals that the cross is God's judgment on the world. The cross is God's defeat of evil. 
And the cross draws people to himself, to Jesus. The cross is God's judgment on the world. The cross is the means of defeating evil. And the cross is the attractive force that draws people to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now this seems like an odd thing to say. Jesus speaks of his coming crucifixion, his coming death on the cross, as the judgment of the world. Now we tend to think of judgment as apocalyptic calamity. Uh, like a flood or, or God's judgment at the end of the age. So how is the cross judgment? Well, it is judgment because through the cross, listen, through the cross, human rebellion, depravity, and brokenness are called out for what they truly are. We tend to minimize our sins, the little and big ways that we turn away from God. They aren't that bad in our own eyes. Actually, the reality is that we tend to see our sins as petty and inconsequential. Your sins, though, are serious and offensive. You just need to know that. But ours just aren't that big of a deal. But the cross tells us a different story. It will not let us make light of what we see as being petty sins, things that we have repeatedly done to the point where our conscience no longer objects. And where the sense of wrongness has slipped away through our repeated rebellion. And we don't think it's bad. But God says, no, this isn't bad. This, is, this brings judgment. Through the cross, we see Jesus beaten, broken, fixed to that tree with nails of human hatred. And God says to us, do you see this? Th- all this man ever did was love you he healed your sick he fed the hungry crowds he taught you the truth about God he welcomed you and saw your worth when everyone else had given up on you now look at him do you see what you have done here this is your fault the truth is that you deserve this this is what this is what you are you are a treasonous rebel you are, broken and, you are broken and utterly helpless. You are doomed and damned, and I have had to go this far to save you. The cross is God's judgment of our sin. The cross is a mirror God holds up to the face of our human, our human rebellion. Um, Will Willeman wrote some time ago, if we or the world could be saved through human kindness or clear thinking... Jesus either would have formed a sensitivity group and urged us to share our feelings or would have founded a school and asked us to have discussions. But knowing the ways of God, the way of the world, and the persistence of human sin, he took up the cross, called disciples, gathered the church, and bade us follow him down a different path of freedom. Now, the cross is also God's means, God's way of dealing with evil. It is God's means of defeating evil. Speaking of the cross, Jesus says this. Listen, this is John 12, verse 31. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That is not the way that I think about defeating evil when I think about defeating evil. I tend to think of of defeating evil along the lines of a Michael Bay movie. You know, uh, guns and explosions 
and generally opening a can of you-know-what on the bad guys, that's how you defeat evil. But God defeats evil not with armies and not with superheroes. It is the most, you know, we are fascinated. I am personally fascinated uh, with superheroes, although my superhero has no superpowers. He's just Batman. He's got a cool suit, and he's a billionaire. So, uh, and that's his, my superpower is money. So I guess there's, there is something to that, perhaps. I'm not sure. But, but I'm, I love that kind of stuff. I think it's interesting. It kind of reminds me. I think it's the modern appropriation of the same sentiment that ancient people uh, developed around the pagan myths you know, of, of Greece and Rome. But God does not defeat evil with armies or with superheroes or with special effects. He chooses the most diametrically opposite thing you can think of. He defeats evil through one supreme act of self-sacrificing love. The ruler of this world, Satan, saw the crucifixion as his ultimate victory over God. Here was God's own son. Here was the spotless lamb of God. Here was God's last-ditch effort to save rebellious and broken humanity. If the devil could just eliminate Jesus then Satan's tyranny over humanity would never be broken. And so he manipulated the, uh, the corrupt religious leaders and government officials to get this hick carpenter from Galilee executed. But evil, brothers and sisters, always overplays its hand. Evil always overplays its hand. Satan probably should have thought twice before he tried to humiliate Jesus on the cross, before he gave this hick carpenter some wood and nails to work with. Because Jesus, the carpenter, took the wood and the nails of the cross, the devil's own stick, and turned it around and beat him with it. Jesus, the carpenter, turned that cross around and made a lever to pry the enemy's grip off of his human prey. Jesus the carpenter took the wood and nails of the cross and used it to build a frame for his back so that he could shoulder all the pain and brokenness and sin of this world. Jesus the carpenter took the wood and nails of the cross and built us a bridge that would take us back home to God. Jesus the carpenter took the wood and nails of the cross and he has built a whole new creation with it. Satan poured out everything he had on Jesus on the cross and Jesus in turn says, is that all you've got? And he came crashing back to life on the third day, triumphant and glorious in his resurrection. The cross is Christ's glory and our victory. The cross is Christ's glory and our victory. Jesus says in this passage, John 12, verse 23, <clears throat> speaking of the cross, now has the now has come, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus is not tormented so much on the cross as he is enthroned on the cross in shameful glory. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, in reference to the cross. Speaking of Jesus, he paraphrases, He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe 
of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. That's powerful. The cross is Christ's glory and our victory. Jesus said that he would use the cross to bring the whole world to himself. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. How can getting nailed up on a cross draw all to Jesus Christ? Because the cross is God's, listen, the cross is God's exclamation point when he says, I love you. The cross is God the Son with his arms stretched wide, exclaiming to a heedless world, I love you this much. This much. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, he died for us. There is no power on earth more attractive than undeserved, self-sacrificing love. There is no power on earth greater than a love that will embrace another's suffering even to the point of laying down its own life. Now, if you have been through the Alpha Course, or maybe if you are attentive to the lives of the saints, you may have heard the story of Father Maximilian Kolbe. I've, it's been a long time since I've told this story, but I think it brings us to this point. On the last day of July 1941, the Auschwitz sirens uh, announced the escape of a prisoner, and as a reprisal, ten of his fellow prisoners would die of a long, slow starvation, buried alive in a specially constructed concrete bunker. So all day, tortured by sun, hunger, and fear, the men waited for as the SS commandant and his assistant walked between the ranks to select, quite arbitrarily, the chosen ten. As the commandant pointed to one man, Francis, uh, I, always, I always practice my Polish pronunciations, uh, uh, Francis Gajownicek, Francis Gajownicek, he cried out in despair, my poor wife and children. And at that moment, the unimpressive figure of a man with sunken eyes and round glasses and wire frames stepped out of line and took off his cap. What does this Polish pig want? demanded the commandant. I am a Catholic priest, and I want to die for that man. I am old. He has a wife and children. I have no one. That's what Father Maximilian Kolbe said. Accepted was the response, and so the commandant moved on. And that night, nine men plus the priest went to the starvation bunker. And normally they would eventually tear each other apart like cannibals, but not this time. While they had strength lying naked on the floor, the men prayed and sang hymns. Kolba led them in the prayers and the singing of hymns, especially the psalms. After two weeks, three of the men and Father Maximilian were still alive. The bunker was required for others, so on August 14th, the remaining four were disposed of. At 12.50 p.m., after two weeks in the starvation bunker, and still conscious, the Polish priest was finally given an injection of phenol and died at the age, the old age, of 47. Thirty years later, a survivor of Auschwitz described the effect of Kolbe's action. He said it was an enormous shock to the whole camp. 
we became aware that someone among us in this spiritually dark night of the soul was raising the standard of love on high. Someone unknown, like everyone else, tortured and bereft of name and social standing, went to a horrible death for the sake of someone not even related to him. Therefore, it is not true, we cried, that humanity is cast down and trampled in the mud, overcome by oppressors and overwhelmed by hopelessness. Thousands of prisoners were convinced the true world continued to exist. And on the cross, Jesus says, what you have done here is not the true world that God intends. There is a world that God intends, and that true world is coming. The true world continues to exist, and that our torturers would not be able to destroy it. To say that Father Kolba died for us or for that person's family is too great a simplification. His death was the salvation of thousands. We were stunned by his act, which became for us a mighty explosion of light in the dark camp. Beloved, when we finally look at the cross and realize that when God shouts, I love you from that tree, and that he means me. So, Ben, on this tree, I am telling you how much I love you. Judy, from this tree, I am telling you how much I love you. Pat, he says how much he loves you. Rob, he says how much he loves you. From this tree, each one of us. And when we finally realize that, when we slow down, and by God's grace, he has given the church the wisdom of Holy Week to make us slow down and look at the cross again, to not rush from Palm Sunday to Easter victory, but to go to Gethsemane and see him weep and sweat bloody sweat and cry out to be saved from that hour, to be with him as he walks the Via Doloroso and he drags that cross through the streets of Jerusalem and he takes it up to Golgotha's hill and is crucified between criminals as a criminal and we are made to stay there at his feet and not like the men disciples, we're made to stay and watch him die and not run away and watch him heave his last breath as he gives up his spirit. When we finally realize in that moment how much he truly loves us, oh, how it breaks our cold and stony and dissipated hearts. None of us feels the true love of God till we realize how wicked we are, but you can't teach people that. They have to learn by experience, says Dorothy L. Sayers, and that's what we will be doing very soon. On the cross, God says this. He says, I know, Ben, exactly who you are. Put your name there. I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you have done. And I still love you this much. And I will not stop loving you this much. And we are stunned by this act, this mighty explosion of light in our dark world. 
So no, we can't take the cross down, I'm sorry, school district or anybody else, China. <laughs> it's who we are. It's just who we are. And that's why we come to this table week after week. Christ's one perfect and sufficient sacrifice is set before our eyes on this altar again and again and says, I love you this much. Christ's great act of love shared again at this table invites us to follow to his cross, follow him to his cross, so that we can be filled with his life and love that we will likewise lay down our lives in this world. Christ's self-emptying love revealed on the cross created the space for what we anticipate coming on Easter Sunday, the fullness of the resurrection. His self-emptying creates the space for the resurrection. And for us now, as we come close to the end of Lent, in the same way as we follow Christ in the path of the cross, by denying ourselves, we are, making, we are, we are cultivating the soil of our heart. We are making space for the fullness of life that Christ wants to bring into us. It is not deprivation for the sake of deprivation. It is creating space that Christ might grow a new life within us. So, beloved, prepare to come and stand and see with your eyes and taste with your mouth the love of God as he tells you once again, I love you this much at this table. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.